Welcome to Professor Forever. I am the Professor Forever. Feeling meditative today? I've been watching the birds. Have I kept you up to date about my birds? I have a perchio in the backyard, which is kind of like a catio, but for birds. It's an open cage, sort of, an open crib that you pour food into, seed, and sometimes bark butter I have used. And then over time, birds come to recognize it as a place where they can come. So I have that built by the infamous Egg Olufsen. Thank you, Egg. Love you. And now I have morning doves, finches, purple martins, wrens, grackles, mockingbirds, red-winged blackbirds coming to the Perchio. This has to be my 10th generation of morning doves. I also have hummingbird feeders hanging up in my backyard. That took a little bit of time too, but now, especially around dusk, I can sit and 30 or so birds will be zigzagging across my sitting area um, looking for that nectar before they go into torpor. And I have recently put up an Oriole feeder. And it seems like I have two pairs of Orioles now showing up. Hooded Orioles. That's the kind of Oriole that you see in San Diego. I heard a song sparrow sing today. So maybe... A song sparrow has come from the coast and moved into my neighborhood. I had not heard this bird in my yard before. I have heard it in San Diego. I heard it at USD, where I taught for many years. Um, That's closer to the ocean. So I think that they do live closer to coastlines. But they're very prevalent in the Midwest and in Ohio, where I am from. The song Sparrow, I highly encourage you to listen to its beautiful song 
on, um, you know, an ornithology site, eBirds or Cornell Ornithology Lab or just YouTube. They give a three-beat chirp and then go into a melody. It's one of the ways you can recognize the bird by that particular rhythm of its song. And I remember, I have a very good memory associated with the song sparrow. It was my mother's favorite bird. And we were on our way to a sunrise service for my church. Mill Creek Baptist Church was the church that I attended when I was young. Sundays, Sunday nights, and Wednesday nights. It's a lot of church. Um, But they had an Easter sunrise service every year in the 70s. And it was held in Mill Creek Park, which is one of the most beautiful plots of land in the world. And of course, I say this from a biased position, but... I think most people think Mill Creek Park, now known as Metropolitan Park, I think, Mill Creek Metropolitan Parks. Um, I think most people would agree as to how beautiful it is. Check that out, too. She told me it was her favorite bird when we heard the birds singing at dawn. And that is a fabulous memory for me. I liked church. When I was young, I think I've already told the story of how I kind of was ashamed of my church for a little while when I lived in an an all-Catholic neighborhood. Uh, it was the house that I didn't want to leave that my mother sold so quickly after my father's demise. Uh, it was... A, a more affluent neighborhood than the neighborhood I moved to and ended up growing up in, which I love. Um, but I wanted to fit in, of course, and I had a little problem with lying to fit in at that age. And I remember my mother inviting them to church with us, and I had to do all kinds of manipulations and machinations to not get them to come with me. And one family uh, I could not prevent from coming with us, and so I just kept trying to explain away why my service was so different from their service. And I think that a Southern Baptist church service cannot be any more different than a Catholic Mass. And I remember us writing on little notes, bring on the priest. <laughs> oh. So I remember also my friend, after somebody got up and sang, there was singing by individual members just about every service. Uh, he clapped and everybody looked at him. And he said, you don't clap after people give a musical presentation. And I go, I know what's wrong with these people. Anyway, back to birds. The first experience that I can remember 
having with a bird was in that neighborhood. So I had to be about six. I think six or seven was the age I was when we moved there. I was 10 when we moved away. So not many years in that neighborhood. I picked up an eggshell that was below a nest and it was a robin's nest and it was a beautiful blue speckled egg if you know what robin's eggs look like look like and i picked it up and then all of a sudden this robin started attacking me um and i remember running 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 and it was diving for my head for my hair uh who knows I, I ducked. I think I went under something. That bird, you know, thought that I was messing with its babies, which I wasn't. The baby was already gone, having been splattered all over the ground. Um, not to be too descriptive about the poor thing's death. But uh, so I had this thing about robins, even though I have a sister named Robin. And so I always liked that name. But this robin scared me silly. And so I, that stayed with me a little while. The next memories that I have of birds are when I started getting poetic, which is probably, probably around seventh grade or so. And I kept getting really sad when I would see migrating birds. And I wrote some poem about um, birds that you see them only once, right? And then, or maybe twice if they come into your yard. Uh, we didn't have a feeder at that time, so the birds had no reason to come into our yard habitually. But I kept thinking, I'm never going to see that bird again. And that made me really sad. And, of course, I think that that was somehow woven into the fact that my father had recently died. And I kept thinking for years that he was going to come back, even though I had seen him at the funeral home in the casket. I thought to myself, he found somebody that looked just like him. He's so smart. I always thought that he was very smart. And I still think that he is very smart, was very smart. And I thought he was able to find somebody that looked exactly like him to take his place. And he just took off away from us. And that's what I really felt had happened. So I think I was thinking about maybe I'd never see my father again. I was starting to come to the realization that he would never be back. And I think that dovetailed in with these ideas that I had about the birds. You know, Emily Dickinson has a very famous poem about uh, the birds and church. I'm going to look it up because the last time I tried to do something um, by going off my brain, even though I used to be a wonderful uh, memorizer, Seemed like I screwed it up, I think, the Keats poem. So I'm not going to do that now. I have it right here in front of me. So if you've never heard this poem, please enjoy this for a moment. <laughs> 
It's called Some Keep the Sabbath Going to Church, number 236. Some keep the Sabbath going to church. I keep it staying at home with a bobolink for a chorister and an orchard for a dome. Some keep the Sabbath in surplus. I just wear my wings. And instead of tolling the bell for church, our little sexton sings. God preaches a noted clergyman. And the sermon is never long. So instead of getting to heaven at last, I'm going all along. You know, Emily Dickinson had a very complicated um, relationship with God and religion. But for the majority of her life, she did not um, believe in organized religion or at least did not participate in organized religion. She certainly believed in God, and there's a lot of God and God concept in her work. And some scholars even think the master poems, that the master she speaks of in her master letters, letters, not poems, uh, might actually be God or Samuel Bowles, who was as good-looking as any Jesus I've ever seen. <laughs> anyway, so that poem, to talk about it for a moment, how beautiful is that, right? So she says, I don't need to go somewhere in order to feel like I am worshiping a being that I call God. And in fact, I feel like my church, the orchard, where the bobolink is, is even better than a building in which people come to. And I love the last uh, stanza uh, saying, God preaches a noted clergyman and the sermon is never long. So instead of getting to heaven at last, I'm going all along. Uh, I did think that the sermons were kind of long when I was a kid. And I was going to church. But it allowed me, and I think most people who attended uh, the sermons at Mill Creek Baptist Church, to go in and out, right? So you can listen and you get a point about morality or some other topic. And then you can drift off. For me, I would be drifting off and thinking about the boys I had a crush on at that time. Um, Brian was one. There was a Dave. There was an Art. So I would think about that, and then I would look over to the other side, and I would see girls that I liked. So I was teetering at that time time, right? My sexual identity was formulating, I think. And I used to sit with girls at church and we would do this thing, which I still call softing. So we'd, you know, roll up our 
sleeves to our church dresses if we had long sleeves on. And then we take each other's arms into our laps and we gently brush the underside of someone's arm to complete and utter pleasure, I might say. So I certainly like those memories um, of church. I liked going with my mother to choir practice. I think I was too young to be in the choir, perhaps, but I loved hearing my mother sing. And I would learn songs that the choir would sing. Also, going with her to cantata practice, right? So, again, Easter, the choir would put on a big long show called a cantata, and I really enjoyed going to cantata practice, and I would learn some of the songs, and then I would just sing them. I still know one today. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that I do not care what people think about my singing. I love to do it. I do it every day. I think that harmony is actually my fort, but that does not stop me from singing melody. I'm going to sing for you right now the song that I remember from an Easter cantata that was held at Mill Creek Baptist Church probably in 1977. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> so, if you know the Bible story about Easter and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this is Jesus on the cross. He has a so he probably sang better than I did. <laughs> but he is saying to his father God in heaven, Please forgive these people who are crucifying me because they don't know what they're doing. As Jesus would be wont to say. So I am no longer a Christian. I was waiting for lightning to strike me, but it didn't. 
I just, I think it's a wonderful placeholder for some people, but I know that organized religion has so many complications. It's killed so many people in the name of love, and that bothers me. And I know what a metaphor is, and I feel like these lovely stories, uh, they have a name, Paracope. They're Paracopes, and they are um, allegories, and they work beautifully. But that is what they are. The Bible is literature. It is a book of stories that have been passed on. And why? Has organized religion existed all this time? Why has Christianity kept its hold on people? Because, and, you know, this is from my own opinion and from readings that I do, but the human experience is tragic, right? in this way, that we are brought here onto this earth, into life, without asking for it, and then we have to follow all these rules, and we have all of these questions about existence, which other animals don't have. They just do what they are drawn to do, and then they die. They don't think about that death is coming for them imminently. We do, humans, with that consciousness. And so, we worry about that. What happens to us when we get to that point? We've seen so many people get to that point. What happens to us? And so we wanted a story of hope and duration and reward for being what we think is a good person. That is why it sticks around so long. I can feel okay with myself. I can be a good person. I don't have to go to church. I can be outside having my church outside in my paradise, in my backyard with all my beautiful birds and my beautiful plants, just like Emily Dickinson. I don't have to say I will follow what a book says, I can say they are beautiful stories, and the stories were told before, before the Bible was put together, and in different parts of the world. I can say that I believe in dinosaurs, and they weren't Jesus' horses. All of these things. But I did love going to church with my mother. And sometimes with my sisters. I remember getting counseling after a really bad breakup when I didn't come out of my apartment. For months, my brother got me into counseling because he was worried about me. And I was questioning everything like I always do. And I remembered a memory from church and I told him about this memory that I shared about being in church and the light coming through the window and my family being there and us singing and harmonizing together and then going down into the church basement and having food with all of these 
beautiful boys and girls and adults that I admired and then going out into the grass and playing Red Rover. And I told him that I shared that memory with my sister. And she said, that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And I told him that story and I looked at him and he said, it's nostalgia, Lisa. It's very strong. And boy, isn't it? What are you nostalgic for? I hope you take a moment today and and think about something that you're nostalgic for. Is it something that hits you as hard as what someone else would say is the Holy Spirit? Does it bring you sadness or joy? Do you have a favorite bird? Will you listen to your favorite bird or animal today and know that for many, many people, that is the embodiment of what God is. I hope you do. Thanks for listening. Keep thinking. She's got no lessons planned for me Because she's not that fancy She's a professor for everything